Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mind, Body, and Soul series on the Success Insight podcast. The Mind, Body, and Soul series celebrates the journeys and stories from health and wellness professionals who are committed to helping their clients and patients realize their physical, emotional, and spiritual courage and well-being. Our guest today is Dr. William Davis. Dr. Davis is a cardiologist, author, and health crusader. His three books include Wheat Belly, Lose Wheat, Lose Weight, and Find Your Path Back to Health. Now, the first edition was published back in 2014, and I remember that because there was a big bagel on the cover, and I have a bone to pick with Dr. Davis, but I digress. Uh, the revised uh, edition and expanded edition was republished back in December 2019. His next book was Undoctored, Why Healthcare Has Failed You and How You Can Become Smarter Than Your Doctor. And his third and most recent book published this past February is Supergut, a four-week plan to reprogram your microbiome restore health and lose weight. Dr. Davis, it is a pleasure to have you on the Mind, Body, and Soul series on the Success Insight podcast. Hey, Howard. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Fantastic. And for our listeners, in the spirit of full disclosure, I have a lot of those. I am actually a uh, an appreciator of the work that Dr. Davis has been involved with. I own Wheat Belly, Undoctored, Super gut. I'm a member of, and I know we'll talk about it, his inner circle. And as I have been exploring my own journey to maintain my health as I get a little bit older, Dr. Davis's work has just been an integral part of that journey. So again, having Dr. Davis here, I am truly grateful. So again, thank you. Dr. Davis, if you could for our listeners, and, and I, first of all, I could imagine Almost everybody that's going to be listening to this podcast will have in some way come across one of your blogs, your articles, one of your books. But if you could, for them, could you describe a little bit about your background and your years as a, as a healthcare uh, practitioner, especially as a, as a cardiologist? Sure. So I practiced cardiology for 25 years, uh, the interventional sort of cardiology, that is putting in stents, aborting heart attacks, ballooning arteries doing atherectomies, all, all these devices that were real exciting at one time uh, when it was, this was all brand new. And to be honest, Howard, I think I was pretty good at it, but I also, I, I made some blunders. I made some things happen to me. One was I became a vegetarian. This is about 30 years ago. I heard a colleague, a, a primary care doctor named Dr. Dean Ornish, you may remember that name, who advocated a super low fat vegetarian lifestyle, and he claims to have reversed heart disease doing so and published a study in a small number of people. Got a lot of press. I heard him talk. I thought, I'm going to give this a try. I didn't really know much about uh, nutrition back then, Howard. I was just in the cath lab doing those procedures. Well, my health became a disaster. I gained weight around my waist. I had high blood pressure. I became a type 2 diabetic with fasting blood sugars in the 160 range well into the diabetic range. My triglycerides were 390, which is terrible. My HDL cholesterol dropped to 27, which is a high risk level. And, and I thought, what that, I'm doing, and I was exercising, I was jogging, playing tennis, going for uh, hikes. And here I am, a metabolic disaster. Well, I stopped that diet, called Ornish, by the way. And <laughs> uh, we had, didn't have a nice conversation, but I can I, imagine. I stopped, I stopped the program, all of it was undone, but it was an illustration to me many years ago, just how powerful the wrong diet can be in uh, generating all kinds of health effects. Well, then here I am working in the cath lab, aborting heart attacks, opening arteries, and my mom dies of that disease. I, I had just moved to Milwaukee to set up some of the hospitals in the new technologies, and my mom in New Jersey, where I grew up. Uh, was found dead, sudden cardiac death after her two vessel carduric angioplasty. So ironically, my mom dies of the disease I am trying to manage in a cath lab in a hospital. So once again, a vivid illustration to me 
this was not very smart to try to manage a disease like coronary disease in a cath lab. So I asked back then, well, what could my, what could I have done with my mom that identified trouble, potential trouble two years, five years, 10 years before real trouble strikes because real trouble can be death. Well, the only device back then, this remains true today also, was a CT heart scan. And this is so long ago, Howard, it was actually an EBT heart scan, electron beam tomography device. <laughs> Since it's been replaced by CT, something called multi-detector CT uh, devices. But today, even today, you do the same thing. Get a CT heart scan. It gives you a coronary calcium score because calcium occupies 20% of the uh, volume of atherosclerotic plaque. So it's an index, a dipstick for plaque in the, in the heart's arteries that cause heart attack and other problems. Well, I'm, we're scanning people left and right. It was one of the first scanners in the Midwest. Um, there were two in Chicago at the time. So one in Milwaukee and we're scanning people. And of course we're uncovering tons of silent heart disease in everyday people like you and me, uh, people going to work, jogging, riding their bikes, going to school, everyday people. What do you do about it? A normal score is zero, no plaque, no calcium. And the higher it is, the closer you are to heart attack, needing stents, et cetera. So it wouldn't be uncommon, for instance, let's say a business guy comes in. He says, um, you know, my dad had a heart attack age 58. I'm 52. I want to know if I'm in line for that too. So he gets a heart scan and scores, let's say 500. Well, if you do nothing, which of course you shouldn't do, but if you did nothing, the score increases on average 25% per year. So 500, 625, whatever 25% more is every step you're closer to dying, heart attack, other catastrophe. So back then, this is 25 years ago now. So I'm going way back. Uh, we would put people on a baby aspirin and a high dose of a statin cholesterol drug, a low fat diet exercise program, and maybe some other things. And we help publish these data. What happens to that coronary calcium score? It goes up. 25% per year. It does nothing. And that's been corroborated numerous times by other groups. And so what, what do you do when I got people freaking out on me, right? Understandably. Well, unfortunately, some of my colleagues uh, who are unscrupulous would tell people, they would take advantage of them and say, well, hey, Howard, you're a walking time bomb. Let's put you through the real test, the heart catheterization. See if you need a preventive bypass or stent implantation, which is wrong. Yeah. There's no proof that does it take, you know, take someone like you and me, no symptoms going for walks, riding bikes and putting in, putting you through procedures. There's no proof that that benefits you in some way, but it's done all the time, Howard. So I, I scrambled to try to find better solutions and it led me down some unusual paths like vitamin D. When I added vitamin D, for instance, it was the first time. So we, we did all kinds of things, fish oil, change that, and it slowed the progression. It'd be down to, you know, 12% per year or 8%, which I thought was, wow, great. When I added vitamin D, it was the first time I saw scores do that drop dramatically. I didn't believe it at first. I pulled up the scans because I thought that was wrong. I thought somebody had got something wrong. No, you could see the calcium had shrunk. And while you can't see fine detail of the softer elements in atherosclerotic plaque, you can still see some of it. And it, it also shrunk. So we were shrinking coronary plaque. And uh, another lesson we learned, you know, uh, one of the things I did reject is this idea that cholesterol is the major driver of coronary. That, that it, I'm shocked that this is still around being talked about. I, I remember when I turned into my 40s and I had that conversation with my, my own doctor and because I was on cholesterol, high blood pressure. And I, I mean, part of the conversation is very familiar to me. You know, I do have one question. You mentioned, you know, those early years and you're, you're seeing this, you know, these scores uh, through the, doing the tests of the, of the arteries. Had this kind of journey that, that it, these patients were taking towards this very bad potential occurrence of, of an event, had that been building year after year or cause in some of your books, you talk about the, the, the Frankenwheat, you know, the, the sugar, the wheat and how we suddenly make food. It's all processed. Had that been, had, so had the issues you were seeing 
were they just a part of just environment or had they been exacerbated by the fact that our diet was also changing? We're working in the office. We're not exercising as much, things like that. Well, so it was the rejection of this idea that cholesterol is a factor driving heart disease. I don't believe that's true. Howard, cholesterol was meant to be a crude, indirect marker for the things that cause heart disease when that research was done in the 1950s and 1960s. So, so cholesterol was meant to be an indirect marker for the lipoproteins, fat-carrying proteins in the bloodstream. Well, you know what? And today, in fact, for the last 25 years I've been testing, you can actually look at the lipoproteins. You can look at their size, their structure, you can characterize. So that's what I did. And it became clear, and this is not just my uh, experiences, there's good evidence to this effect from people like Dr. Ron Krause at University of California, Berkeley, Hopkins group, a Toronto group, a Texas group, over and over, that it's small LDL particles, not LDL cholesterol. You can use cholesterol to crudely guesstimate how many LDL particles you have, but let's actually measure the particles. Well, so people who have coronary disease, like a high score on a coronary calcium score, they virtually all have an excess of small LDL particles. It'd be something like 2,000 or 2,400 nanomoles per liter particle count per volume. And the, and the, the science was clear back then. It, remains true today, the only foods that cause small LDL particles are grains and sugars, period. <laughs> not fat, not saturated fat, so not butter. So I asked people, you know what, hey, clearly statins don't work. A low-fat diet is nonsense. Let's just try this. No wheat, no grains, no, no sugar, because that's what causes small LDL to be provoked. So they do it. Small LDL, they come back a few months later. Small LDL is zero or some other very low number, 150, whatever, but dramatic reduction, an uh, often obliteration of that abnormality. And blood pressure dropped, then they lost weight, and many type two diabetics became non-diabetic. And people would say things like, you, you didn't tell me I'd lose 58 pounds. <laughs> you didn't tell me that I'd have to stop my insulin and diabetes drugs, my blood sugar was so much better. And you didn't tell me that my joint pain from rheumatoid arthritis would gradually go away. So I did it for cardiac calcium scores, Howard, and small field particles, but I stumbled into something. And at first I said to myself, how in the world can this be? Every official agency dispensing dietary advice agrees. You must include healthy whole grains. Every dietitian says so. The Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, American Heart Association, American Diabetes Association, they all agree. You must make whole grains a dominant player in your diet. And here it is, you take it out and magnificent things happen. You know, when you take a type two diabetic and make him or her non-diabetic, you have added something like eight years to their life and spared them more than likely uh, eye disease, kidney disease, heart disease, peripheral disease, gastroparesis, all the stuff that happens in type two diabetics. So we're talking about dramatic changes to people's health. Not to mention losing 40, 80, 130 pounds just by doing this. So it became clear there was something fundamentally and desperately wrong with the conventional notion of a healthy diet. And is this how ultimately a wheat belly came to fruition is, you know, how do I take all this evidence that I'm seeing and, and doing my studies and working with my patients and making it, get, providing uh, clinical advice to them. Is this how Wheat Belly came about? Yeah, but it was prompted by getting mad. <laughs> because, okay. So I had a few expect, for instance, I had a 38 year old school teacher, nice lady, and she came to see me because of palpitations, a flip flopping feeling, or recorded a rhythm. There was nothing, it was very benign. But she's always clutching her abdomen. Like I said, well, you know, what's wrong? She says, well, remember, I have ulcerative colitis for 12 years. And I have pain 24 hours a day. I'm on three drugs for it, including a biologic. It costs her like, I think $2,000 a month just in the copay. And she's a school teacher. Her husband's a cop, right? And not rich people. But she's clutching her abdomen. She says she also hemorrhages. She gets a transfusion every two or three months because oh, wow. she loses so much blood from her ulcerative colitis. And her gastroenterologist said, you know, it's clearly not the medicines aren't working. Let's take your colon out. 
a colectomy. She's 38. They're going to take her colon out and then um, reroute her ilium to the surface to make an ileostomy bag. And, you know, once you do that, you cannot go back. You're going to have this disfiguring thing hanging on you. You don't have a colon anymore. You have disrupted your health dramatically and you can't go back. I said to her, you know, I know you're here just for palpitations, but let me tell you what I do with many other patients where I have, I deal with diet. I said, like, have you thought about getting rid of wheat and grains? She said, no, 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 no. They, they, they biopsied me twice for celiac disease and tested my blood for the markers. I don't have it. I said, I, I get that. I'm not talking about celiac disease. I'm just talking about the uh, disruptive effects of modern wheat and grains. So she lives and I said, wait, what do you have to lose? They're going to take your colon out. Well, she comes back like four weeks later, big smile on her face. I said, Tim, what happened? She said, well, first of all, I lost 38 pounds and I didn't even try. I just, it just, I just lost 38 pounds. And then within five days, all the pain was gone. Diarrhea stopped. The bleeding stopped. I stopped one of the drugs after two weeks. After four, I stopped the second drug. And then subsequently she stopped the third drug. Well, so she's cured. She, she has no ulcerative colitis. She feels the best she has years and years. She goes back, and this is what got me so angry, Howard. She goes back to the gastroenterologist, who I know, and says, hey, look at me. I am in perfect health. I don't have ulcerative colitis anymore. He says, how'd you do that? And she told her. And he says, oh, it's coincidence. Go back to what you're doing. Oh, my. And Howard, I just thought, when, fa when faced with that kind of revelation, at least say, well, maybe I'm missing something here. You know, let, let me think about that. That sounds kind of wacky, but no, oh, doesn't matter. Go back to what you were doing. And I had a series of cases like that where I got so hopping mad. Yet people who, I had another call from a doc. I had this nice woman, type two diabetic, hemoglobin A1C, that long-term measure of blood sugar of about 12.7%, which is terrible, which means she can be kidney failure heart disease, peripheral vas, in short order. And she's on uh, insulin, several drugs, like four drugs just for blood sugar, not even counting the blood pressure medications and other things. So I tell her how I do things. Well, she loses, I think, like 43 pounds. I get her off all the diabetes drugs. Hemoglobin A1C is 5.6%. not perfect yet, but a hell of a lot better than 12.7%. Her doctor calls, you know, he says, who the hell do you think you are? taking my patient off all her diabetes medications. I said, well, did you see her hemoglobin A1C? It's better off the drugs. He hung up on me. So and why? In other words, what, what's going through the head is this does not compute. They're this better has gone, off the drugs. This has gone beyond helping the patient. It's, it's, it's almost as though, and I don't want to, I don't want it to come across like I'm parroting things that I know I've heard you say. But doctors not listening to patients or not being willing to go and do research and learn more and being quick to go to the procedure route or the drug route, that's, in my mind, that's wrong. But it sounds like that was a pretty uh, frequent occurrence. Standard operating procedure virtually everywhere. Not to say there aren't functional medicine doctors, naturopaths and chiropractors and an occasional mainstream MD who, who does get it, but uh, mainstream doctors don't get it. And even worse, Howard, don't care to get it. And that's what bothers me the most is kind of willful ignorance. So if you're an opt uh, ophthalmologist and you get thousands and thousands of dollars every day by injecting these drugs into people's eyes to stop like uh, macular de degeneration, would you stop and say, you know what, maybe I should spend more time educating people to show them how to prevent this. No, because there's too much money at stake. Same thing with coronary disease, so many other, diabetes. Diabetes is easy to reverse, Howard, it's so easy. And yet most people are told once you're a diabetic, type two diabetic, you're always gonna be a diabetic. Never get off the, which is completely, it's not just my opinion, by the way, there is published evidence to this, this effect, but it's simply not, that's why I say it's not just ignorance. It's also often they don't care. How did Wheat Belly then, oh, before I even answer the, ask this question, by the, I grew up in Detroit and we had the most phenomenal bagels, uh, perhaps next to Detroit, next to New York, giving up, you know, and I cored out the dough in my bagel, but I'm thinking you're saying that's not good enough, Howard. 
uh, because, you know, a nice crispy bagel with locks and cream cheese and some tomato and capers, that's a hard thing to give up. So how, how, how do people give up this, this thing that they like the most, you know, bread, pasta, the bagel, and begin to change this mindset of, okay, I, I, yeah, I need to find some other alternatives. Well, I think it starts with educating people about what the what modern wheat, that is the product of what's called high yield semi-dwarf wheat, this 18 inch tall, thick stalked, large seed head plant, essentially created in a laboratory. So if you tell people what this thing does to you, it starts to make sense. So one of the effects is there's a protein in wheat called gliadin and your body can't break it down, of course. So if you ate, if you ate an egg, you break the uh, proteins down to single amino acids. If you eat the gliadin protein of wheat, you break it down to four or five amino acid long fragments or peptides. Those peptides uh, have opioid properties and they bind to opioid receptors in your brain and they stimulate appetites. It's a potent appetite, appetite stimulant and addictive factor. So that's why nice guy like Howard Fox says, I gotta have the damn bagels, I gotta have it. And in fact, after not having wheat for a few hours, many people start to get shaky and desperate. So there's that. The heart disease angle, the amylopectin A carbohydrate of wheat, not only raises blood sugar extravagantly, more so than table sugar, it also provokes formation of small LDL particles. Small LDL particles, Howard, are perfectly crafted to create heart disease, coronary disease, because when they're able to get into the wall of an artery, they're more adherent. They're more oxidation prone. They are more likely to, in, to incite inflammation in the wall of the artery, and they last five to seven days in your bloodstream as compared to the 24 hours of a normal large LDL particle. So um, th that's the amylopectin A. There's wheat germagglutinin that is a very potent bowel toxin. Uh, and there's some other factors in well, phytates. Phytates are the factors in wheat and grains that bind all minerals calcium, magnesium, manganese, iron, and zinc, and you poop it out. And that's why mineral deficiencies are so, in other words, so you were told that you must have grains for their B vitamins and fiber, not being told that you can have very severe mineral deficiencies, which have implications. Magnesium, uh, lack of magnesium causes heart rhythm disorders, higher blood pressure, higher blood sugar, osteoporosis, fractures, lack of zinc impairs your immune system, disrupt your skin health, uh, iron. I've seen many ladies in particular, this, this affects ladies more than guys, with iron deficiency anemia, with hemoglobin, normal hemoglobin level is about, about 12, 13, or 14. These ladies walk around with seven or eight. They're breathless. They're cold. They're tired. They're getting iron injections, oral iron, and, uh, and then also blood transfusions. They go off wheat, and their hemoglobin is normal within two weeks. So it's, these are profound effects. Uh, from the components of this thing created by geneticists or scientists. You know, it's amazing. And I, I just, I would imagine just going on this journey, having someone, it's not me as a coach, but someone who's used to working with individuals, patients on lifestyle choice, and perhaps coming up with be new behaviors that stick. But it, it it's hard. I mean, again, giving up that bagel, that's hard. Uh, and if you can't see below the camera here, but I probably could use a little more of a, give up that one occasional bagel. How did then Wheat Belly kind of transform? Because I, I, you know, Wheat Belly was literally on my shelf. I would, I picked it up a couple times. I looked at it, but it really was not until the second book, Undoctored, came out. And, and then the, the, the inner circle, uh, and then really just listening to the, the topics of, and for me, it was making my own yogurt. Okay. Cause, and I've been doing that, the, 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 the three, uh, uh, the, the three, uh, you know, bacteria style yogurt, super yogurts, and, and really beginning to see things change. And so how did this undoctored in this community begin to take shape? Because I think that's been an important part of this education and really people beginning to learn more about your work and the idea around elimination of grain 
And then the starting this conversation, I know we're going to eventually get into is the gut biome and the importance of the gut. So talk to us a little bit about uh, the undoctored and this, this inner circle that came about. Sure. By the way, Undoctor is like my eighth book or so, something like that. I know you've, you've got a lot of the, you've got an entire Wheat Belly series. <laughs> well, you know, at, like those stories I told you where people, people would come to me and they say things like this. Uh, I'd like to do the Wheat Belly lifestyle and I show them how to do it. They go to their primary care doctor or somebody else and the doctor says, better not do it. It's going to give you a heart attack. I'll give you a Lipitor if you're going to do that dopey diet. So they didn't take the Lipitor, of course, but they'd come back and they'd be, you know, 60 pounds lighter, their blood sugar's better. It's all that, all that kind of great stuff happens. And so what I saw was over and over and over again, Howard, people succeeded in magnificent ways, despite the doctor <laughs> and were doing it on their own largely. That is, they weren't doing it in a hospital, weren't doing it in a clinic, and they were having a level of health that was dramatically superior. Doc the doctor does not dispense health. They dispense pharmaceuticals and procedures to try to address one disease, but they don't actually give you health. In fact, you'll find most doctors are painfully ignorant of issues in health, like diet, vitamin it, E, microbiome. It almost seems as though they're, they're focused on an effect, not a cause in a way. Exactly. So if you were to treat type two diabetes, the conventional way, you're, you're Fasting glucose is real high. Your hemoglobin A1C is high. So we give you insulin and other drugs to push blood glucose down. That does not protect you from kidney disease, blindness, amputations, and all the other problems of a diabetic. But what if we did instead? Not just push the blood sugar down. What if we address the factors that allowed high blood sugar and insulin resistance? That's what drives the high blood sugar. Uh, what if we address the factors that allow those situations to develop? Well, the diabetes more often than not goes away. Blood pressure is normalized. Psoriasis goes away. In other words, regardless of the label, when you address the root causes, those conditions just tend to just go away. And so and that's what happened to me. That's what I've done now, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of times. And that's why people, as you know, on this program uh, are slender, vigorous, look and feel younger than their chronological age. Uh, they, they it, I truly mean this, Howard, their health is superior to what they would have obtained through a doctor's office. If that is the case, how then do I find the right kind of doctor? What's the, what are the questions I need to ask and how, where do I look for a doctor? that is going to be open to this. And, and I hate to use the term alternative medicine. That's it, it, to me that, that, that does not do it justice. I'm sure you've got a better word for it, but how do I begin to take control as a patient, find a health practitioner, whether it be a doctor, a nurse, et cetera, a chiropractor, and begin to have that question of this is what I am concerned with. This is, and how can I do it without being, going through these invasive procedures and taking these, these life, lifelong drugs? How do I have that? Well, first of all, I, I tell your listeners that without a doctor, you can accomplish spectacular things in health. You can do all kinds of things in health without the doctor, but you know, there's a time and place. Sometimes you do need their help. The best places to go are functional medicine practitioners. These are people who use nutrition and nutrients and the microbiome uh, strategies before they resort to drugs and procedures. Uh, integrative health practitioners, naturopaths, which differs from state to state because of the legislative restraint, um, but they're, they're pretty good chiropractors. You know, it, it really helps identify just one, regardless of their degree or uh, specialty. Because what happens is if you, let's say you find a functional medicine doc, uh, who you like, and then you say, Hey, I, I've got a problem. I'd like to see a urologist or a gynecologist. Do you have somebody, you know, you trust. So you, when you identify just one practitioner that you like, you often tap into their network and they'll go, Oh yeah, yeah. Dr. Smith on the other side of town. He's a great. Uh, a gynecologist, he uses natural methods, he uses bioidentical hormones. So that, that's the kind of thing you have to do is just identify. The problem with this also is uh, 
all these online rating systems for docs are gamed by the healthcare systems. So like there's a healthcare system in my town that when these you know, like annual best doctors in town kind of thing comes up, they have all the nurses and staff vote for their own doctors. Yeah. So you can't trust those. You know what still works the best, I think, Howard? Word of mouth. It seems so old-fashioned, quaint, but that still is the best way. You know, I have to share this little story. And I think my journey into this new lifestyle began probably 2017, 2018. I don't know about you, but, you, I, you know, living in Chicago, we had a fairly decent fall. You're up in uh, Milwaukee. You know, fall is colors or cider mills. There's caramel apples. And you go into the local grocery store and they have the three pack of caramel apples with nuts on it. And I literally, during the fall, would overdose on caramel apples. And I remember, I, I see you cringing for our listeners. Doctor, I just made Dr. Davis cringe about that. <laughs> I remember waking up one day and I really felt odd. I mean, very odd. And I had bought the uh, the device that you had recommended. So I have to test the blood sugar mm -hmm. and I had had it. And of course I buy it, never used it. All right. But I, but I went out, got my little pins and my testing, uh, uh, apparatus. And my score was probably up near where yours was 160. And I was scared literally to death. And it's like, what do I do? What, what's going on here? What do I do? And so I think, and that's where I began this journey of how can I take care of myself better? Who are the practitioners that I should be looking at? Because if I went to the doctor at the time, it's, you know, let's amp up your dose of, uh, of, 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 of medicine. So I, I get it. I get it. What I love about the, the community though, it's, it's individuals from all walks of life and you're deeply involved actively in the conversation of helping each other. And you have the, the undoctored coaches and, and now the, the inner, the in, infinite health inner circle, the coaches, but everybody's helping each other. And I think that's wonderful. And for our listeners, we're going to provide you the links to, you know, Dr. Davis's uh, website There's also a link back to the, uh, to his inner circle. If you want to learn more about it. Let's finally get to uh, your your newest book uh, of one of many books, but the newest one, uh, Super Gut, because this idea of making my own yogurt a year ago was, it was something I thought I need to do this because I love yogurt, but I needed to work. And I started to read and hear what you were saying, what the members were saying. And I began to craft my own yogurt. How did this interest in the, the gut biome, how did that begin to take shape and why and it's because today I can't go anywhere without hearing about my gut biome, healthy gut, but you seem to be on the, the early stages of really exploring and saying, wait a minute, folks, there's something here. So how did that begin to take shape for you? Well, so people doing the basic wheat belly undoctored programs did enjoy magnificent results. But some people didn't go all the way 100% back to perfect health. So a very common experience would be, well, I started the program and I was intolerant to numerous foods. Like I can't eat legumes or nightshades like uh, um, uh, eggplant or tomatoes, or I can't eat histamine-containing foods like cheese without getting sick, or I have to avoid FODMAPs, fibers and sugars. And so those abnormalities persisted, even though those basic programs included uh, advice to take a high-potency multi-species probiotic fermented foods and prebiotic fibers to nourish microbes. So even though we were doing that, people were still encountering some obstacle. Another common one was I lost 78 pounds, but I have 30 more to go and I'm stuck. I it just stopped. I plateaued. Or my blood sugar is dramatically better. My hemoglobin A1C dropped from you know 12% down to 5.7%, but it's not perfect, which is 5.0% or less. So people had great results, but not always 100%. So I asked them, why? What is blocking their success? So I looked in the microbiome, and Howard, there are tons of things that emerge from the insights of the microbiome. One of them is that 
uh, and you've likely heard this, that modern people have lost hundreds of healthy species that played important roles in human health and we've lost them. And in their place, you know, microbes keep each other in line. And when you lose healthy microbes, some of the unhealthy microbes, many of them stool species, proliferate like E. coli, Klebsiella, Cyprobacter, Pseudomonas, they proliferated. And then in a shocking number of people, they ascended up into the small bowel, into the ileum, jejunum, duodenum, and stomach. And so 30 feet, trillions of microbes, and even more so. So 30 feet, trillions of microbes. Microbes only live for minutes to hours. They don't live very long. And so there's rapid turnover of these trillions of microbes. When they die, some of their debris enters the bloodstream. Many of us sus suspected this for many years, but it finally got validated, proven, uh, corroborated in 2007 by a European group. And this process is called, is called endotoxemia. That is the endotoxin of bacteria gets into the bloodstream. And it's now clear why disruption of the intestinal microbiome can be experienced as depression or anxiety or Alzheimer's dementia in the brain or as rosacea or psoriasis in the skin or as the muscle and bone aches of fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, or rest leg syndrome. In other words, we're going to have to reassess, reconsider virtually all human disease in light of this new finding. Because you can imagine if I give you a drug to block a pain pathway in fibromyalgia, but do nothing about the 30 feet of microbes, you're going to have all kinds of, yeah, you may reduce some of the pain from that anti-inflammatory drug you're taking, but you didn't address the cause. And that cause is going to make you gain weight, push you closer to type 2 diabetes, colon cancer, depression, anxiety, skin rashes, autoimmune diseases. So foolhardy to not look for it. The thing that really convinced me though, Howard, this was a very common problem was this, the air device. Sure. A-I-R-E mm -hmm. for your listeners made by a company called Food Marble. You don't have to buy the device, but it just, I, I, when the device first came out, the inventor, uh, Dr. Angus Short in Dublin, Ireland, thought it was a device. He invented it for his wife because she uh, had irritable bowel syndrome, IBS and was told to follow a low FODMAPs diet, low fiber, low sugar diet. Because when you do that with IBS, you get a little less bloating and diarrhea. But he saw how tough it was for her. And so he invented this device that measures hydrogen gas if she had inadvertently got exposed to one of those fibers or sugars. Well, he releases it in 2018 or 19, something like that. I get a hold of it. I call him up, I, Angus. Do you understand what you invented? He says, no, I thought it was just IBS, right? I said, no, 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 no. This is a mapping device. It tells you where microbes are in your GI tract. And so you can use it to map out where bacteria are. And it's very effective. This is the old one, by the way, the new one is black. It's in my kitchen and it measures now, not just hydrogen gas, but also methane gas. Think, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but when I started talking about it, and as you know, in the, um, former undoctored inner circle, now the DR Davis infinite health inner circle, uh, tons of people testing it. And as you saw, like in our virtual meetups, where we talk like this zoom. So every Wednesday night, uh, as you recall, we have 70 to hundred people and we're all talking, including about this. And it was, how it was shocking. How many people tested positive? It's the rare person. It's the exception who tests negative. Now critics might say, well, maybe the test is flawed. Maybe the device is flawed, except that. People would test high, they do something about it and reduce the abnormal. It's a zero to 10 scale, zero, perfect, 10, terrible. And they go from a 10, say, down to a 1.2. And they say, and finally, my arthritis pain is gone. Finally, I broke my weight loss plateau. That persistent rash kept me coming out is finally gone. My depression and anxiety have finally lifted. In other words, we saw the health improve even further. I now can eat nightshades and histamine-containing foods and legumes and fruit. I don't have any of those food intolerances anymore. So I saw all these problems lift by managing the microbiome. And when I manage the microbiome, or we, the collective, are we 
what types of food are we are, are we consuming? And again, I've mentioned the yogurt because I do want you to chat about that because I love the yogurt. I mean, I, every Sunday night, that's what I make, my yogurt. But I, I have this device. It's providing me the the um, the H2 gas scores and now the, the methane scores. If it's a certain number uh, above a, this, this threshold, I know I need to increase, add in, is it, is it the yogurt, the, the, the probiotic yogurt? Is it the fermented foods? What am I adding to help me then move that score a little bit lower? Well, there's several choices. And sadly, if you go to your doctor, even a gastroenterologist and say, hey, I'm testing positive for SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, uh, 30 feet of microbes, et cetera. The doctor often says, uh, you don't have that. Did you consult Dr. Google again, Howard? Or don't waste my time or shock. There's no such thing. There are thousands of research studies d documenting this. Uh, one of the problems we have, of course, is mainstream doctors are about 17, 18, 19, 20 years behind the science. And so, uh, or if that doctor happens to be a little better informed, they hand you a prescription typically for a drug called rifaximin or Zyfaxin. It's an antibiotic. 50% efficacy, uh, no mention of how you got it, how to increase the efficacy, how to prevent recurrences, which are common. There was a time we were using herbal antibiotics. I was very skeptical, but there's some evidence that show that they work. And uh, there's two regimens we were using, the candibactin regimen and the FC cytal dysbiocide regimen. But I asked a different question, because I was unhappy with that. If you take, so if you have SIBO, 30 feet of microbes, and maybe it's manifesting as fibromyalgia, or irritable bowel syndrome, or restless leg syndrome, or uh, food intolerance, or inability to lose weight, or persistently high blood sugar, all those things. If you took a probiotic for SIBO, will it go away? No, it will persist. You might have a little less bloating or diarrhea, but you'll still have this SIBO. And so I asked questions like this. Well, what if we chose microbial species and strains that take up residence in the small bowel? That's where SIBO occurs. And what if we chose species and strains that produce what are called bacteriocins? These are natural antibiotics produced by some microbes effective against the species of SIBO. So I came up with that three species yogurt. You, you, I call it SIBO yogurt. Yes. Uh, it's got lactobacillus gasseri, which colonize the upper GI tract and produce up to seven bactericins. So it's a bacterician powerhouse. My favorite microbe in the world, Lactobacillus rotori, also a colonizer of the upper GI tract, produces up to four bactericins, including a very powerful one called Reuterin. I was talking to a microbiologist, and he told me this a few months ago. He said, you know what? We, we sometimes use L. rotori, Lactobacillus rotori, to clean our vats, the vats where they, they grow microbes. I said, what? Really? He said, yeah, yeah. That's how effective it is in killing off pathogens. So I, I said, ah, really? So I called a microbiologist friend of mine, out in San Diego, Dr. Raul Cano, 40 years academic microbiology. And I said, hey, Raul, uh, my friend Suresh says he uses rotori to clean his vats. Does that sound right to you? He says, oh, yeah, yeah. We, we use lactobacillus rotori to clean our vats. That's how effective it is. So the yogurt has lactobacillus gasseri, lactobacillus rotori. I added also bacillus coagulans because of some evidence that it's very good for reducing IBS symptoms. And it does produce one bacteria. So we co-ferment those three and we use a method of fermentation, as you know now, prolonged fermentation, because we want hundreds of billions of bacteria for a big effect. Consume a half cup of dates, very tasty, with some blueberries and whatever, score of stevia. Oh, yeah. And so far, now this is preliminary, but so far about 30 people have tried this and 90% normalized their hydrogen gas on their breath. So we'll likely do a clinical trial down the road, not with yogurt though, because it's too hard to control the numbers that will probably encapsulate it as a probiotic and then test this uh, formally. But so far, Howard, people, and you know what? If I'm telling you to have your colon removed or get a frontal lobotomy, you know, we better be damn sure that's necessary. But when you're talking about the potential treatment being a yogurt, you know, you don't have to have absolute confidence to do that because it's just stinking yogurt and it's delicious and as you put it's fun to make 
I love it. I love it. it actually, one self-serving question here, Dr. Davis. Is there a limit to how long I should be consuming this yogurt? Because literally, I, I make it every Sunday, 7, 8, 7 p.m., because that's my that, that gives me my full 36 hours. Is there, or should I be, you know, breaking it up every once in a while, just do El, El Ruderai uh, or Gasserai or, or, or try another uh, strain of bacteria? See, all the, those three guys, those three, the, the Gasserai, the Ruderai, and the Bacillus coagulans are normal inhabitants of your GI tract. So I don't believe we could argue that there's any harm in doing it. But there's also no, there's benefit to variety. Okay. Um, one of the problems we have, Howard, in the world of the microbiome is we don't have knowledge of the full community of bacteria that's necessary. In other words, so bacteria like humans. So you and I have friends, relatives, family, community, bacteria, the very same way. In fact, the microbiologist friend of mine, Dr. Raul Keno, is one of the pioneers in that. He's worked on developing what he calls guilds or consortia of bacteria. And so, by the way, he, he and Martha Carlin started a little company called BiotaQuest. And they're the ones who developed the Sugar Shift product. They call okay. it Sugar Shift because it reduces blood sugar. Right. Uh, like about 10 milligrams in non-diabetics as well as diabetics. Uh, but that is that product, Sugar Shift, is a consortium of bacteria that collaborate with each other and you get bigger effects including a drop in blood sugar, because these microbes working together consume the fructose, sucrose, and glucose in your GI tract, and thereby reduce your blood sugar. Um, so when you're replacing Reuteri, Gasseri, and Bacillus coagulans, they're probably very important keystone species that you're supposed to have anyway. So I don't think there's any harm in doing this for a long, you don't have to do it for a long time, but I, I don't think there's any harm to do it. Okay, but I can, I can bring in some other species and just to add some variety. The, uh, in the spirit of time, by the way, we are like well over three quarters of an hour. So I'm having fun. If you're having fun, let's keep going. Uh, we're educating besides having fun. This whole idea around fermenting now, and, and I, uh, th there's the woman, uh, Donna Schwank was on your show and I have been interested in fermenting for a little while, especially around uh, water kefir. And so it was like perfect timing for me. How is the introduction of fermentation and eating more fermented foods, how does that also contribute to, you know, the body rebalancing itself to be able to, you know, build up the, the healthy gut biome and, and, and to address some of the, you know, the, the, the effects of, you know, not being as healthy as we could, how is fermenting that? You know. I'm glad you brought that up, Howard, because it's so important. That is, with the uh, availability of home refrigeration in 1927 by the Frigidaire Company when they discovered the use of Freon as a refrigerant, Americans forgot or stopped uh, eating fermented foods, which are ubiquitous. They're everywhere uh, previously. Well, we stopped. And that's part of the reason why we've disrupted our microbiomes so severely. So bringing them back is a big, a big part of the solution. As you point, so the yogurts, kefirs, kombuchas, uh, fermented veggies, this should be easy and virtually cost-free because you can just ferment veggies on your kitchen counter. I got a whole bunch of stuff fermenting on my kitchen counter. Now, why does this work? It's, it, well, the, the best evidence comes from Stanford, a husband-wife uh, microbiologist group. Uh, Erica and Justin Sonnenberg, and they just published very good evidence about not even six months ago. And they just examined what happens to the microbiome when you frequently consume fermented foods. And they showed that, so the, the, the microbes in fermented foods are typically species like Leuconostoc, Leuconostoc mesenteroides, or Pediococcus, Pediococcus pendaceus, Pediococcus acetylacticite. Uh, but those aren't the ones that take up residence. They take up temporary residence, but by on some uncertain mechanism, their presence, their restoration allows other healthy species to emerge. It's not quite clear why. Are they latent? Are you more receptive to the environment? No, nobody knows. But something happens where there's great diversity of healthy species 
just by getting those handful of microbes from the fermented foods. So it's, it's looking as if fermented foods are among the most important things you can do for your microbiome. I, I am uh, very, very much looking forward to seeing the, the effects of the fermenting. And it, I, my first batch of uh, water kefir was with uh, cranberry juice and uh, I haven't, it hasn't blown up in my kitchen yet. I think I'm good. Uh, just for, for folks out there, if you're going to make water kefir and a second ferment, always make sure you burp the bottle. Okay. Frequently or else you've been warned. Dr. Have David, you tried the Saccharomyces boulardii uh, cider or other juices yet, Howard? I, I'm just getting started. So I will, okay. I, I will try that. Can I find that on the inner circle? Uh, that is on the inner circle. And there's one version in my blog, the okay. drdavisinfinitehealth.com blog. And I'll tell you listeners real quick, this is so fun. It's, it's not in the super, super gut book. There's a ton of stuff in the super gut book, of course. Right. This one's not in the super gut book. This is in the website and blog. But it's taking a fungus called Saccharomyces boulardii, which is a cousin of Saccharomyces cerevisiae. That's the stuff used to make wine and beer. But okay. boulardii is adapted to the human body. And um, it has all kinds of great effects. It's kind of a traffic cop for bacteria. It really cultivates the good guys, suppresses the bad guys. And if you take it, by the way, this juice, during a course of antibiotics, if you, if you must take an antibiotic, it minimizes the destructive damage to your microbiome. So it's the, it's the most powerful thing you can do through a course of antibiotics. So we take, a, a, it's available commercially as a, a product called Flora Store, F-L-O-R-A-S-T-O-R. Uh, it's like, I don't know, 17 bucks at Walgreens or Target or Meyer. Take a capsule, empty it into any volume of juice quart, let's say, of apple cider. Apple cider is very easy. I've done it in coconut pineapple juice. I've done it in mango passion fruit juice. Just got to be sure there's no preservatives right. like potassium sorbate or something like that. So just plain juice. And by the way, cider is better than apple juice. You want the cloudy stuff. So empty capsule of floor store, uh, cap it lightly. As you point out, this one will produce huge quantities of gas. Leave it on your counter. You'll see it 24 hours. It's bubbling like a cauldron. It, that's how effectively it's fermenting. And then after 48 hours or so, put it in the refrigerator to stop fermentation. Because if you keep it going, it'll turn to hard cider <laughs> that is alcohol. Uh, so if stop it at 48 hours. And then what we do is sip maybe a quarter cup, two or three times a day. And it helps rebuild your microbiome. It pushes back fungal species, all kinds of great stuff. And it, it, it tastes like uh, apple soda or berry soda. It's, it's delicious. It's sparkling. It's effervescent. I will have to try it out and I will uh, comment uh, on the, on the blog. And, you know, the one uh, beverage we hadn't chatted about, and I, I think if, if memory serves me, it deals, deals more with the, the, the life, the, the, sif the, uh, the sifo, the fungal, but it's the green tea and the. Um, Clove. Uh, yes. Yes. And, and the, uh, what's the herb that the, uh, the, um, you get all, no, what's that? What's the, uh, the Halloween spice, um, just, uh, God, it's, I'm going to, it's just going to hurt me. I can't remember. Cinnamon, it's, nutmeg. It's, it's the next, not cinnamon, not, but not, not nutmeg. <laughs> I'll get it. I'll get oh, it. Okay. It's, it's, I'm just getting excited talking about food now, but you didn't, th this is the other part of my life. I love food. I love my coffee, by the way. I'm not. We're not going to chat about coffee because I, I do not want to be told by anybody that I have to give up my coffee. Not for uh, me. All right. That's good. I, I have coffee and a sunrise every morning. I, I love that. I've had four. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Doctor, before we head out today, and I do want to get, you know, we'll give uh, our listeners access uh, information to the website, et cetera. As you look back on your career and, and I, I know you've got a, a lot of years ahead of you, but as you look back in your career, is there anything that you would tell your younger self about ch choices you made or changes or things that you should get involved with or do, you know, way back when, you know, perhaps maybe in your youth or thinking about going into medical school, anything that you would share with your younger self? 
maybe that be patient because you'll get it right eventually. Because I went down a lot of dead ends, Howard. You know, I, it, I grew up as a really poor kid in New Jersey. My mom was, before she died, of course, uh, lived on, she was on welfare, single mom, two sisters, a one bedroom house. So we, we were dirt poor. <laughs> and so uh, I put myself through 17 years of college and training with almost no help. Uh, finished with a lot of debt, by the way, but paid it off promptly by working a hundred hours a week, <laughs> moonlighting and paying it off. And so I was pretty proud of what I did, the, the sacrifices, the work I did uh, to get there, only to find out it's a corrupt system. It's a system based on wrong ideas and, and, the, and more on money than anything else. And that really bothered me. And so uh, on the other hand, I wouldn't know what I know now unless I went through 17 years education training and 25 years of practice. I wouldn't know a lot of these things. So I, I think just to have known, I'd get it right eventually. <laughs> Though it took a lot of mistakes, like making myself diabetic, Howard. <laughs> you know, like practicing interventional cardiology, only, real, only to realize this is not right. And so a lot of mistakes. But I think I'm close to getting it right now. That's good. That's good. When you are walking down the street and you're in northern, a suburb of Milwaukee and you're walking down the local main street, maybe there's a nice coffee shop or somewhere, do people stop you on the street and say, Dr. Davis, I have to share this with you. Do you ever get, what do they say? They, they say, and I, I'm, I'll, I'll toot my own horn. <laughs> They'll say, okay. you changed my life. I thought I was tired. I was on seven medications. I was depressed. I was anxious, skin rashes, um, hair falling out, a joint pain. Oh, and they say, and now I don't take any medication. I feel better than I have in 30 years. So that's a very common experience. I, I, I'm not exaggerating. You know, I don't, I don't have to exaggerate. And I can tell you, Howard, ain't my good looks and charisma that makes, that gets this, uh, message through to people. It's, I think because they, these ideas work. You know, I was a type two diabetic for God's sake, you know, uh, and person, as you see in the inner circle, uh, is filled with people who say, yeah, my health is completely different than it used to be. But you know, it's, you accomplish this largely on your own at minor expense compared what, what it costs to engage in the healthcare system. Uh, but sadly, my colleagues don't care to hear this. You know, it's like, it's like the tobacco industry. Does tobacco real the big tobacco? Do they really want to know about lung cancer and heart disease? Not really. <laughs> they, they have a business to run, so healthcare is a business. And so, sad, sad to say, if you want a real message, real insight into health, the last person to talk to is the doctor. And I appreciate that, but I'm left with a question. Do you see change or any type of change happening for the better? Things are changing faster because of the internet and more rapid information exchange, but it's still slow. I, I suspect after you and I are gone, maybe st some change will start to, it has, it's more of a generational thing. The current crop of doctors has to pass on or, or has to retire and younger ones take over. But the problem also is the education system is, is, is flawed. There's still, there's a little bit of nutrition, microbiome, but it's still large about drugs and diseases, diagnostics and procedures. So the, the focus is wrong. You know, I see more and more people on the bright side going to naturopathy, chiropractors, uh, health coaches, uh, 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 physician's assistants. And there's these people, interestingly, seem to be more open-minded and more holistic. And so I think things will change, but Howard's going to take decades. Okay. Okay. By the way, clove, that was, that's what I was trying to mm. think of. Mm. Clove, green tea. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, that's another one of my favorite, uh, you know, drinks during the day. Oh, wow. Good for you. Great. Very effective, right? Very soothing to the GI tract. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm, rebuilds mucus. I could, I could be your poster child. You know, by the way, I don't, you know, just so you know, my hair is actually starting to grow back on the top of my head. 
I don't oh, know. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> you having erotic dreams? Uh, well, we're not going to talk about those yet. <laughs> this is Dr. A lot of people do. You know, we're going to write with the right right yogurt. If it helps with my social life, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Well, a lot of people experience, uh, well, let's, let's talk about that for a moment. So Rotori by itself, you can use it as a component of that SIBO yogurt. But a lot of us, as you point out, just do the Rotori yogurt alone. Uh, the ladies just love it because one of the things they get is an explosion of dermal collagen and they thereby lose their wrinkles starting at about eight weeks. But you and I also get deeper sleep. So I'm a chronic insomniac. You know, and now I sleep nine hours straight through vivid dreams. Yeah. It rebuilds lost muscle and strength in some people, not real consistent. I'm thrilled you're getting it, but some people have hair regrowth or thicker hair, uh, grows faster also as do your toenails and fingernails, a uh, bone density is preserved, very effective for ladies in particular. Um, uh, it suppresses appetite, the so-called anorexigenic effect. And it also boosts libido. Uh, testosterone is raised also. Uh, and many people report having a, a greater erotic content of their dreams like they had when they were 19 years old. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. I'm going to have to uh, start to uh, log my dreams now. And, uh, you know, if I, if I suddenly uh, get engaged or married, I'm inviting you to the uh, wedding. So <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> Dr. Davis, before we head out, if our listeners would like to learn more about you and your work, now we're going to provide links back to the books, but to learn more about you, your work, your blog, you've got a podcast, et cetera, where are the best places for them to go? Well, the super gut book, of course, it just came out a couple of months ago. That's a good place. Mm -hmm. um, I have a wheat belly revised and expanded edition, as you pointed out early. Uh, it came out 2019. It contains like the basic starting programs we all follow. Um, there's also my newer website. I transitioned everything from old websites to this one new kind of umbrella site. It's called drdavisinfinitehealth.com. And my blog is there. There's also the, um, the membership website, the so-called inner circle, where we have this kind of a interaction once a week. Typically, I bring on guests uh, like, like Donna Schwank and some docs and things like that. And they bring in some new ideas. Um, and then my podcast is the Defiant Health Podcast. Uh, you can get on any podcast directory. Fantastic. Well, we are going to provide all the links in our show notes, uh, Dr. Davis, Infinite Health, the links back to uh, the books. And I know you're also active on social media, the social sites links as well, Facebook, uh, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and uh, you're everywhere. And that's a good thing because I think the message that you are bringing and what you're sharing through your work, your body of work, uh, I know it's making a difference in my life. And I know as a coach, as a doctor, we all want to make a difference in the people whose lives you know, we cross and to, we want to help people. And uh, again, I want to thank you for the work that you've done because you've been a big help for me. And I know our listeners are on the Mind, Body, and Soul series are going to appreciate this as well. Nice to be here, Howard. Thank you. Very good. Well, listen, stay on the line for just a second. We're going to do a short close and you and I can have a final chat. All right, folks, what a pleasure. And believe it or not, we are well over the one hour mark. And so I usually give my guests 30 minutes, but 30, 45, that's a long podcast, but you know, Dr. Davis and just what he has shared with us today and, and it's just pure gold. And I want to really, really encourage you listen to this episode or, you know, or make a beeline to, uh, to his website, drdavisinfinitehealth.com. You can check out the, the books, his blog, his podcast. And really, if you are inclined, do check out the Infinite Health Inner Circle. This is such a great community because if I have a question, you know, maybe I, you know, if you're like me, you watch YouTube videos, okay? I've been consuming Kiefer Water YouTube videos all weekend just to make sure I knew how to make Kiefer Water. But everybody has a piece of information. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people have opinions and those opinions are not always based on facts. 
And so we really have to be cognizant of where we are consuming information. And I have found the uh, the inner circle here with uh, that Dr. Davis has started to be a wonderful place to learn more about things that I can do to promote uh, my good health. And I would certainly encourage you uh, to not only visit the website, but do go out uh, to the Dr. Davis Infinite Health Inner Circle and see if it's the membership is uh, right for you, okay? If you did enjoy uh, this episode, you know, again, uh, do check out the website, uh, all the social sites that we're going to share in our backlinks. If you enjoyed our podcast, Success Insight and the Mind, Body and Soul series, you can find us on successinsightpodcast.com. We also have our LinkedIn and our Facebook pages, Success Insight Podcast. And we're also on all of the podcasting platforms, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Audible, Spotify, et cetera. We want to know that you enjoyed today's episode, or if you have any comments about the episode, we want to hear from you. Okay, folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day, and we will see you on a future episode of the Mind, Body, and Soul series on the Success Insight Podcast. Take care now. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies. Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.